Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others and the planet. Welcome to episode 54 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Michael Bremer on the show with us today. Michael is the Vice President of the Association for Manufacturing Excellence Awards. He is on the advisory board of the Dominican University and is the author of the award-winning book, How to Do a Gamble Walk, A Leader's Guide. Michael has dedicated his career to sharing knowledge and helping organizations worldwide improve to create a better future. Let's get into the episode. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Brad. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Same, Michael. Really looking forward to the conversation. Michael, what's your backstory? What led you to achieve and do everything you've done throughout your career? It's been so extensive so far. Yeah, for a long time. I'm an old guy. <laughs> it's the it, it's interesting. I don't think I, I well, I certainly never planned th- this career, but um, my original training in life in the at the university was um, finance, accounting, and information systems. I had to be one of the first guys in the nation to, I took every IT course that the University of Missouri offered and sort of went out with that as a background and so sort of a logical thinker kind of guy. I'd started in public accounting, but it made me sleepy. And then I went to work in the uh, early 70s for a company called Beatrice Foods, which at the time was a Fortune 30 company. It was a conglomerate. It owned uh, 440 businesses all over the world. In Australia, it owned uh, an orange juice company that no longer exists called Patra that was in Sydney. And in Melbourne, uh, Red Tulip Chocolates was a, uh, was a Beatrice company. And so I was uh, I was actually down in Australia the first very first time, I think in the late 70s. But the uh, one of the jobs they gave me along the way was um, they said we needed to do something to increase our rate of productivity improvement. And I had been with Beatrice for, I don't know, maybe five years at that point in time, doing a lot of special financial projects. And they said, Michael, you go be the productivity boy. And so I spent time then with a guy named W. Edward Deming, uh, Dr. Duran, uh, a couple of other people that were highly knowledgeable about this stuff. Um, I was totally incapable of learning everything they could teach me because I didn't know enough to learn. But I, but I did learn a lot. And we created a company-wide improvement effort. It was voluntary. None of those 440 profit centers needed to participate were required. Um, and voluntarily, roughly 70% of them ended up participating in the structure that I had put together. Um, the corporate entity, Beatrice, was uh, went through a leverage buyout in the mid-80s. And at that point, I left and started. Uh, I never, ever thought I would be a consultant, but I started consulting for what I thought would be a short period of time. And I ended up consulting until 2019, <laughs> when my partner and I finally closed down our, um, our company that was headquartered in Chicago. I've just been fascinated because I have just continued to learn the entire time that I've done this. Uh, and uh, I think it's so important for organizations to uh, find ways to improve more effectively on an ongoing basis. And I have just loved uh, playing a small role in helping to make that happen. You know, Michael, it's such an honor being able to meet and interview and talk to you, but 
must have been the same for you, getting to spend time with Edward Stemming and learn from people like that. That's amazing. Well, it is. And uh, and it's, I mean, I was in awe of the guy. I mean, it's, he, he just, I mean, I, you know, I, I sort of, I mean, I knew what a process was, but it, it was the first time I ever thought about work in the, from a holistic perspective and what it was that was going on in a, um, I think giving it some deep thought. It wasn't like I was totally unaware, but I was certainly unappreciative of that. And I certainly, I mean, I, I did reasonably well when I, a couple of the management positions I had before I moved into that. But the um, but taking that perspective of what it was we need to be doing holistic, the thing that was frustrating is how long it took me to really learn enough to really know something. <laughs> um, I was, I, I, my partner, Brian, uh, for many years would get mad at me when we would go into a new consulting situation. And I would be, I would be worried about what I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, at that point in time, I felt like it was lots. And the, uh, and, and then I would want to share it with the people the, we're trying to sell business here. And I'm telling people, I really don't know how to do this, but I think we can figure it out. And I was confident we, we could figure it out, but I was trying to be open, you know, full disclosure. And, yeah. and, Sometimes my wife kicks me under the table in social situations. Well, Brian was kicking me under the table when we were, <laughs> we're trying to do this to get it going. But it, I'll bet it took me 10 to maybe 15 years of doing this to begin to feel like I really knew something holistically and, and more comfortable in my skin. I, I just, I don't remember if I sent this to you or I, I just wrote something, but the thing I didn't want to do is to advise or coach or even ask a question and cause somebody to do something that made the situation worse. And so I always wanted to have a reasonable idea that what it was we were talking about, if we did it reasonably effectively, it was going to work reasonably well. And, uh, I, and it, even when I didn't know this, it usually did. I mean, most of the consulting work we did, people were very pleased with it. Everybody asks us to come back and do stuff over again. Um, but that was that, that inside confidence and uh, uh, comfort inside your own skin. It took me a long time to get there to really, really felt I had it. Michael, when we first met back in 2016, you know, your humbleness really came through then. And I'm guessing it's that humbleness that you've got that's really created you as a constant learner and really helped you develop and grow to what you've, you've achieved. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And it was in, it's interesting career path that I ended up following, I think, helped me to operate that way. And it was neat. I mean, it was like with Dimming and those guys. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't know. So it was easy to sit there and try to try to absorb what it was that, the, that they were talking about. They were fantastic. And if I, if I had known more, I mean, I absolutely could have learned more. But the um, but as I started realizing the complexity of, um, you know, of, of how the world works and what is this going on and the difficulty that people it's a challenge for people to know what highly effective improvement practices look like because most people have never seen it. But when you think about people going to Toyota for, you know, what, 30 or 40 years, people visited Toyota and they still didn't really understand what the hell Toyota was doing. I mean, they, they saw the artifacts, they saw the, um, you know, the tools they're using and, and the tools are powerful. So you come back and you use those tools and you'll, you'll get some improvement. Um, but to really operate that way in a highly effective way, it, it's, what you need to do isn't all that complicated, but it is really, really hard work to have the discipline, I think, to do this well. Michael, I don't know what you've found, but a number of my friends that have worked in Toyota and then come out of Toyota and started consulting, they've found it really tough. You know, they've found trying to get people to change and think, why is this so tough? Foreign, you know, they're so used to that culture of excellence that trying to take an organization from 
you know, starting point through is something they're not used to. What have you found? Well, it really is because there's there's trust issues. Um, there there's all this legacy stuff that happened in the past and who did what to whom, and uh, it, plus there's the not really. And I didn't appreciate this. I think at some points during my career, maybe the midpoints of my career, the you can say the words, but to really understand the deep understanding of what those words mean, like standard work. I mean, it's you know standard work. You know, that's a bunch of that's a bunch of tasks I'm supposed to do. And when you look at the way most people do standard work, it's a list of meetings and a list of to do things. Um, but if you go one level deeper. You, 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 you start to realize that, that standard work really, I really should be using standard work as a leader to change the way I lead. So, so sort of level two, I begin to take that concept and now I'm, now I'm trying to make Michael a better leader, a, a better manager. And then I think if you go to yet a third level, you realize, well, really it isn't about me, really. What my standard work should be doing is, is helping me uplift all those people that are around me whether they're on my team or are they're, they're elsewhere in the organization, the people that we need to play with. And, and so your, your standard work moves from being this list of activities to, to much more behavioral change, first of all, for yourself. Uh, and then as you start to do that, then I think influencing the way that it is others are behaving and helping them to become actually better people in life. Yeah. Um, but, but you can't just go there from the, Get go because you don't know what it is you need to be doing to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even understand you should be doing that. I think often when we move into leadership, that we forget that element of standardization that we learned at the front line. And it takes us to have to go on a journey to rediscover it, you know, find that importance of standardizing some time to make sure we can keep focused on what's important. I think that's true. And, and people, people want to do this improving stuff and then they want to get there so they can just move on with their life and not have to worry about this. And there's not a good appreciation that the need for this doesn't, it doesn't stop of having to get better at getting better because everybody around you is, even if they're not doing a great job of it, they are, most organizations, they're not totally dysfunctional. I mean, they do an okay job of getting better. Um, but oh God, you look at what's happened just in the last you know, year and a half with COVID and the rapid changes that we've gone through. Um, it, it just, it, the whole environment outside of us keeps changing and it's, you know, it's, it's accelerated. It's, it's like a jet fuel now with what's happening with the changes taking place. Yeah, it's really funny right now. You know, there's sort of the haves and have nots. You know, the companies that were doing well with enterprise excellence are booming and going through the roof right now. And the others, are, many are struggling. And it looks like it could be that way going forward out of this also. Michael, I'm really keen to get into your book now, How to Do a Gamble Walk. You know, when I read this book, it's a great read, short, sharp, full of a lot of great content. What I'm keen to explore is, out of all the knowledge you've got and that constant learning you've had, what made you choose to write this book first? Why did you write How to Do a Gamble Walk, The Leader's Guide, first of all? Well, I ever since I started doing this, I mean, even back at Beatrice, when we were putting together what we called the Project of Improvement Effort, we had an assessment. I mean, it, was, it was a pretty bad assessment looking back at it today because we, we had jumbled a whole bunch of stuff together. You know, we had like one, one assessment thing and it had like 10 different things people should be doing, but you got one score for it. But, the, um, but I've always liked the idea of doing assessments. And in many ways, a gimbal walk, you know, is, is sort of an assessment of what it is that's going on. And I don't know, back in 2010-ish, um, Brian and I were going to run a workshop at one of our, we were running a consortium in Chicago. And we were going to host a workshop at one of the companies and teach people how to do a gimbal walk. And, you know, Womack and 
uh, you know, Shook and all those guys are always talking about, you know, do a gimbal walk. So, so I figured, you know, so we're setting this workshop up. We had scheduled the workshop. We're getting all ready to do it. And then I was looking for some material that I could provide to people to tell them what it was they needed to do when they did this. Well, all I could find were that you should show respect. You should ask some questions and you should kind of go look and you could go see. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's well and good, but how do I do that? And so the workshop was coming up and uh, I sort of scrambled in to put together five pages of what somebody needed to do to do, to do a gimbal walk. Cause it, because I couldn't find anything that to my satisfaction that, that did that. And, and then after we ran the workshop, that worked reasonably well, and people really liked the, you know, the little five-page um, script that uh, we had provided to them. And then I thought, well, Jesus, there's nothing out there that tells people how to do this. And, and so my partner, Brian, does not like to write books. I had forced him to write the book prior to this, prior to this with me, which, which I thought we did a good job of, but I, I don't think most people, it didn't get a lot, it didn't do a lot of sales. The Gimba books probably sold 10,000 copies, which I think for a self-published business book isn't too bad. But we wrote this book called Escape the Improvement Trap about struggles organizations have doing this well, but uh, somehow it never got noticed. Uh, so I self-published this one. The, um, I just really wanted to give people a practical guide. And then when the first book was out there, the first edition was out there, um, I got some feedback from some folks. Well, how do I coach my leaders to be able to do this? And I had some coaching stuff that was scattered in there, but then ended up doing a revision to it where it actually put a chapter in for, you know, coaching leaders. But the, the thing that, that frustrated me was it, I, I wanted to make it easy for people to know what it was they should be doing. And then, well, how can you hold yourself accountable for doing that? How do you then measure whether you're doing a good job of doing that as time goes by? And that was the story that I tried to tell. Yeah, Michael, you, you did it really well. Like I remember even with the training afterwards, it was really straightforward and simple. There was a structure to it. It was a great, great process. And I remember you improving it even during the event. I remember going out to dinner with you and talking and brainstorming ways to make it even better, which is um, extremely impressive. Even now, you know, with all of the digital walks, things that are people are doing, I've been talking to some people about, well, how do we do this in a, you know, in a, you know, in a digital environment? So yeah, that the need for even changing something like that, it, it doesn't stop, right? Yeah, the how to do a Gimbal Walk app, that'd be awesome. Hey, Michael, I was wondering if you could share with us, mate, with doing a Gimbal Walk, what are the two, three, four main steps to consider when going about the approach? I think, first of all, you have to decide why, why are you doing a walk? And the, um, you know, and, the, and so there's purpose. What, what's the purpose of doing walk? And if I'm a first line supervisor, you know, I, I've got a, I probably have a smaller area of responsibility. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got a, uh, certainly if I'm in a manufacturing company, I probably have more repetitive uh, process that's going to be going on within my team. Um, or even if it's, I'm in an engineering department and I'm, we're doing project management or new product development, there, there's sort of a repetitive thing that would be going on for a leader uh, in, in that environment. The, um, and so the first thing I'd say is, you know, I'd just go out and try doing it, you know, first of all. But after you've done a couple of them, come back and think about, well, why do you really want to do a walk? What is the purpose of my, my, my walk? And, and you really, you need to write that down. You can't just, you know, think it. Because if you just think it, <laughs> you're, 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 you're going to change it as time goes by and you're never really going to go back and hold yourself accountable for the original thing. So, 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 so what's the purpose uh, of doing a walk? Um, 
And so let's take two of them. So, so the purpose of a first line supervisor might be, well, they, they, number one, they're probably doing a couple walks a day. Certainly they're doing several walks during the week. I might do one walk just to see what, what's happening with our standard work practices. Are people in fact following standard work? Um, do they have any ideas about changing the way we're doing standard work? Can I see anybody struggling with you know, doing the work the way we've uh, said that it should be done? Um, I, I, I might I might then do another walk as that supervisor. Uh, I'm going to look at just flow. I just want to see where where is stuff slowing down and what and what's happening. And so as I'm doing the walk, I'm not trying to do six different things. I, 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 I'm I'm trying to get a feel for what's there. If I'm a plant manager going through and doing a walk, there's a tendency for the plant manager or even somebody from outside to come in and want to educate the people that it is that they're talking to. Um, but if you want to know what it is that's really going on and getting in touch with reality as it's really happening, and I think this is one of the best tools in the world for doing that, then you really want to do the purpose of your walk should be to go out and listen. Um, and, and I like to think there, there's a rhythm, a, a, there's sort of a pulse. It doesn't matter if it's highly repetitive. Or I'm working in an all administrative environment. There, there, there is a pulse with the, the way that work gets done. And, and can I see the flow? you know, as it's going through it. I'm not talking about lean flow. I'm just talking about the, the way that work is being done. Is, is there a rhythm to it? Because it's one of the things that the first time I went into a company that's highly effective at improving, I was amazed at the reduction in the noise level. That problems came up, but the problems were so easy to see because they had done such a good job of, 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 um, of stabilizing their processes. So purpose, um, then I want to go through and I want to really listen and give people an opportunity to, 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 to give me feedback. And then I, then I want to evaluate how well am I fulfilling the purpose of, of going back and doing the walk. So I'm going out there, uh, I'm asking some questions and then I'm, I'm waiting and I'm listening uh, for people to tell me what it is that's going on. And I'm really starting to teach my eyes to see um, at, at, as I, as I do that. And, and for me, the purpose a, a purpose, not the purpose, a, a purpose of a gimbal walk should be to get in touch with reality as it actually exists. And what I wanna be doing is letting go of my, uh, my assumptions and my beliefs. I actually wanna be challenging my assumptions and my beliefs as I do this walk, because that's, that's where the humility comes from. <laughs> when, you can go, when you can go in there and you can see what you thought was true isn't true, that, that should then make it easier for you to pause and to reflect um, to see what it is that's really happening and try to uh, try to learn from that. Yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? Michael, with effective listening, you know, a leader defines a purpose for a walk and they go down to do a gamble walk and they're going to practice listening. What does effective listening look like? What does it sound like? Well, it, it, you got to practice asking questions. Um, and so I, I suppose the, when I talked about holding yourself accountable for steps of a good walk, I mean, that would be in the debriefing stage and stuff I'm doing with multiple people. So, so I think going through, if, so if I say I'm doing this walk with two other people and, and, and going through, and one of the things I say, part of my purpose uh, for this specific walk, or maybe this set of walks I'm reading over the next set of weeks is I want to, I want to ask, I want to learn to ask good questions. And so my other two people that are doing that with me, accompanying with me, um, if I'm the primary spokesperson, I'm the leader for this walk, I want them observing me the way that I ask questions. When I ask a question, 
do do interrupt the responder as they are as they're you know I because I'm part of the, this is my <laughs> I can relate to some of these problems because these are problems Michael had and and I'm not trying to be rude I mean you hear somebody talk and, and yes there's an ego element there that you got an idea but I'm I want to move the conversation along faster and I want to get there quicker and, and so I'm trying to help the speaker talk well that's not what we should be doing. <laughs> I mean, if if we really want to to be uplifting the people that are around us, we've got to give them space to learn and figure things out. I mean, if you've ever had kids, your your kids do not learn through your experiences. <laughs> as frustrating as that is, because <laughs> you would you would you would think that God, their life would be so much easier if they could just learn from all the stuff that I screwed up. But I didn't get that from my parents. And and my kids didn't get that from from me or 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 my wife, who's who has her act together much better than I do. But the um, but we've got to learn. And and so you come to this work environment and you're trying to get stuff done fast because we're all under time pressure. But but the, so so I think the other thing that's going on there is is the leader practicing patience. So I want to learn to ask good questions. I I, I want to be patient and Everybody I know, every leader I know that's in an organization that I would say is highly effective and improving, you know, you talked about humility, Brad, is the, the high degree of humility that these people have. Well, we get this humility by starting to learn things that we didn't really know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe what we thought was true was true when we did that job five years ago or, or when we first created that job five years ago and we were involved in the creation of, you know, what the thing is. But, but it's probably not totally true today. And so having the um, confidence in yourself to be able to step back and, and to allow somebody else to, to, to try to express. And then if they're, if they're unable to ask your question, that's not because they're stupid. It's because you didn't ask a good question. <laughs> and so, so, so then how can you do a better job of making it easier for people to say, not not trying to put them in a small space, you know. So you're asking open-ended questions, not yes or no type things. Yeah, I, I think you develop from there, and then you know the classic Gimba stuff that says you know go out and look and listen. I mean, the, 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 those apply, but you really need to practice doing that um, to to get better and better at doing it. And the trap I've seen people fall into is they they come up with a way they do the Gimba walks, and then they just try doing them that same way every time rather than realizing this is a freaking experiment and I want to learn from the experiment and I want to get better and better at doing this over time so that I can do a better and better job of uplifting the people that are around me, which to me should be the purpose of just about every gimbal walk. Michael, I love that statement you made there that each walk is like an experiment to learn from and grow from. It's really insightful. Well, I think that's a great segue for us to finish up episode 54 and then we'll resume again next week in episode 55. Michael, thank you again for the insights and knowledge. Look forward to talking to you next week. That sounds great. Looking forward to it, Brad. Take care.